Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Today, like always, we will dissect drinks. Yeah, so we were going to talk about something else, but we decided there was no way, and we had to talk about Canadian whiskey, eh? <laughs> I, I promise we're not going to talk like that the whole episode. Yes, that, that, that is correct. We are talking Canadian whiskeys, though. You're in for a treat. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Canadian whiskey for the very first time. Yeah, this, this is my. I'm. This is me here losing my Canadian whiskey virginity. Yeah, it smells really sweet. Mm, it does. This is a. This one is a very sweet smelling, even sweeter than what I've had before. Admittedly. Holy shit! I like it. It's there's there's a lot of spice to it, like a lot of different flavors, mm. and uh, the. The Collingwood blended Canadian whiskey we bought is a whiskey that's been aged with charred maple staves. Yeah, because one of the important factors in what is required to have a Canadian whiskey is that it must be aged in charred barrels. Doesn't specify the wood, Hmm. but that it must be charred. Yeah, so it, it could be made very, very similar to bourbon. Yeah, well, in fact, there's uh, similarities between both bourbon and scotch in uh, in the scotch? making of Canadian whiskey. Absolutely. Right. In fact, the very first whiskies made in Canada way back in uh, 1769, when the first Canadian distillery was opened in Quebec, and before that, were being made by Scottish immigrants who were making them the same way they had back home. Right. And um, the local distillers learned similar methods, but then, of course, because of things like uh, how cheap and readily available corn was, corn grain became one of the main ingredients that they used, which gave it you know, a complexity that only comes from corn and changes the flavor based on what type of corn they use. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And is, yeah, very much like in bourbon where they also use corn. Mm. So it's got some similarities in flavor, but they, the Canadian whiskies tend to be more rye-focused or very, very similar to rye whiskey, whereas they actually use rye yeah. in their... Uh, in the brewing or distilling process. Yeah, while not all of them use rye, a lot of them do. Mm. And it's usually one of the ingredients in the smallest quantity, but has the biggest effect on flavor. Yeah, it's like salt. You only add a little bit, uh, but it's going to make the biggest impact on the flavor. Yeah, and uh, apparently the more rye they use, the spicier... The smell and the earthier the taste, and we've certainly got a, a spicy, earthy flavor, yeah, absolutely. going on with um, with the sweetness that is also very present, and a sweetness that I as- assume 
we're getting for the same reason that a lot of that sweetness is in bourbon, which is the corn. The corn. And potentially from the charred maple staves. Uh, but this this is fantastic. I, I think I'm an instant fan. Yeah. Oh, this is easily the nicest Canadian whiskey I've ever had as well. D- not, not saying that I've not enjoyed every Canadian whiskey <laughs> I've had, because that sort of came out sounding like, oh, Canadian whiskey's terrible. But this is the nicest of the terrible Canadian whiskeys. No, no, it's good. And this is the nicest of the good Canadian whiskies. Yeah, well, I, to be fair, I would put this at the top whiskies that I've had. And I've had a lot of whiskies. Yeah. I, I will have to tr- try this again, potentially finishing the whole bottle along in the next month or so. But I already like it more than Scotch whiskey. Mm. Admittedly, the uh, the Collingwood is our top drop. This, this is our top mm. drop for the day. Yeah, it runs for about $60 a bottle from our favourite bottle shop. Mm. And uh, they describe it as a unique artisanal whiskey that is made at Canada's longest owned and operated distillery in the town of Collingwood, Ontario, on the shores of Georgian Bay. As a toasted maplewood finished whiskey, Collingwood is full of flavour and complex with a long, clean finish. I'd agree with that. Yeah. And uh, it, it's received a bunch of awards including a silver at the 2016 Whiskies of the World Awards, a 90 rating at the 2016 Ultimate Spirits Challenge, a 93 rating, and Best Buy at the 2015 Wine Enthusiast Awards, uh, 88 points at the 2015 Ultimate Spirits Challenge, and 92 points at the 2014 Ultimate Spirits Challenge. Amazing. So no wonder we like it. Because yeah. it's, it's pretty good. It is pretty good. Um, so, enough about what, what we're drinking, and let's get into a bit of, uh, bit of uh, description about what Canadian whiskey is. Because it's, uh, it's typical for most blends of single-grain whiskey, particularly, well, mostly corn and rye. But sometimes it can include wheat, barley, or triticale, uh, all from the same distillery, although some mash bits or bills from multiple grains are sometimes used because American corn is quite inexpensive and easily available. They tend to use it in higher quantities than corn from most other places, including cereal grains. There are exceptions, of course. For example, the Highwood Distillery, which specializes using wheat, and the Alberta Distilleries, which has developed its own proprietary yeast strain that specializes in distilling rye. Canadian whiskey uh, is different from regular whiskey in the fact that it is more... Well, one one of the, the biggest things about Canadian whiskey is that it, it, it tends to be more likely to be blended than regular whiskey from, say, Scotland or, or America. Uh, it relies more on brewing a higher-proof batch, say 180 or 190 proof, and a quote-unquote flavoring batch, which is around 150 to 160 proof. They use the higher proof for the lighter flavors, but the the lower proof flavoring whiskies are there, so because they retain more of the the grain flavor as they age. Yeah, it it is uh, very common for them to distill different parts of the drink separately before yeah. mixing them together for aging. And, yeah, I thought um, that was really interesting. Yeah, and it's not that they all do that, but 
that does supposedly add um, a richness and complexity that the ones that don't do it lack. Yeah, it it almost seems to be a feature of Canadian whiskey, like with Irish whiskey, which tends to be aged in a specific kind of barrel, like uh, some Irish whiskies are aged in sherry barrels or port barrels. Yeah. Like th- that's a focus of the Irish whiskies and Scotch whiskies you've got like more peated style more peated styles of whiskey so which tend to be more smoky more uh charcoal flavors. Mm. And you would expect more charcoal from something that has to be aged in a charcoal barrel but somehow part of the process always results in a uh, very smooth, light yeah. whiskey. Yeah, this is unexpectedly charcoal-free. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's almost like they've found a way to make it not get any flavors from the barrel at all. Though I, I doubt that that's the case because it's very sweet. I suppose there is a slight mapleness to it. Mm. it. It's definitely got a distinct maple note. Yeah. Yeah, with, uh, without a doubt. And what's interesting is that they can manage to get different notes and subtle nuances to whiskies while sticking within the regulations for what makes a Canadian whiskey, which are actually really strict. Mm. Like, um, it says that in order to be labeled a Canadian whiskey or Canadian rye whiskey, as you'd expect, it must be mashed, distilled, and aged for no less than three years in Canada. It may contain caramel and flavoring. It can't be less than 40% ABV. And this is the part that makes you wonder how on earth they managed to get different flavors in there. Because it specifically states it must possess the aroma, taste, and character generally attributed to Canadian whiskey. Yeah, that's the part that I find really interesting. Because you could say, yeah, it's generally this flavor. That doesn't give you a lot of room to experiment. Yeah, and I mean, that's... I think Canadian whiskey is the only whiskey I've seen a regulation state specifically that it has to taste like a Canadian whiskey. Yeah. Most of them say it has to have these ingredients in it, has to have been made in this region. And then go nuts. Then go nuts. But Mm. yeah, that one has to have these ingredients, has to be made in this region, has to taste right. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> None of this mamby pamby stuff. It's got to taste like a Canadian whiskey. Yeah, that's that's the most probably the most interesting part about well, most interesting difference compared to whiskies from other regions. I haven't seen anything quite like it before. Yeah, though admittedly that consistency does mean that whenever you buy a Canadian whiskey it's going to taste basically the same. Well, it's going to be... You know what you're in for, that's for sure. Whether yeah. it's a cheap one or an expensive one, you know that at a basic level yeah. what it's going to taste like. Yeah. I mean, that's a good thing if you're trying whiskies, trying Canadian whiskies from all over the world. You're going to... A Canadian whiskey is going to taste like a Canadian whiskey. Yeah. And... I mean, obviously, you can pretty much guarantee it's not going to taste like burnt feet or something because Canadian whiskey doesn't taste like feet. (laughs) 
And if it did taste like feet, it wouldn't meet the criteria and they wouldn't have labelled it Canadian whiskey. It might be feet whiskey or something. They they may have labelled it rye whiskey, however. Mm, Well, yeah, they can just call it rye whiskey without putting the word Canadian in front of it and suddenly they can get away with it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, in, in Canada, rye and Canadian whiskey or rye whiskey and Canadian whiskey are relatively interchangeable. Yeah. But yeah, for, for export quality, Canadian whiskey has to meet a certain criteria. Yeah. If it wants that name to hmm. be able to be slapped on it. Yeah, and if they want to experiment, they have to lose the Canadian label to their title, to the yeah. title of the drink. Yeah, exactly. And who knows, maybe foot whiskey is going to be hugely popular one day. And to any brand out there that's thinking about making a feet whiskey... Don't. Yeah. <laughs> If people don't want to crack open a bottle that smells like feet. No. Even if it's sweet feet. Well, uh, maybe some people do. I, d- I don't know. I was going to say there's That's... probably a market out there for yeah. it. It's, it's someone's fetish, let's be honest. <laughs> Not here. Here at a good drop, we're pretty straight and narrow considering how much we drink. Yeah, when it comes <laughs> to drinks, we're specific about them smelling like what they are. <laughs> you might be curious to note, as this... Whiskey gets uh, mellowed out with the the ice that we have. It bec- it seems to be becoming sweeter. It seems to be more sweet, or the 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 sweet notes come forward, and the spice notes move towards the back of the palate. Yeah, it's it's interesting because normally you start watering something down, the flavors don't change; they just reduce. Mm. But certainly, as this is watering down, the flavors changing flavor, like yeah, changing to the point where it could be another drink. It could be another drink, and I'll I'll admit it's tasting more like my previous experiences with Canadian whiskey. Because mm. in the past, I haven't drunk Canadian whiskey straight. Right. I've mostly drunk Canadian Club. Okay, and it's pretty much always been with cola. Hmm. And how does that compare with what you're drinking now? Oh, I would never put this with cola. <laughs> Not in a million years. It would be right. sacrilege. Yep, I, I always have to apologize profusely <laughs> for putting this Canadian whiskey with cola. <laughs> but but That's how... About. What I'm trying to get at is how does it change compared to... How does the flavor profile change compared to what you're drinking now? Well, I mean, that's that's the trick of it, that um, because it's cola, the sweetness is already there. Yep. But it doesn't really change. It's almost like the um, when mixed with cola, the Canadian whiskey kind of augments the sweetness and just makes the cola taste like Canadian whiskey. That, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. So there's still that cola undertone to it, but you get the other flavors that would be accompanying the sweetness of a Canadian whiskey mm. mixed in there as well. Un- mm. Unlike with a number of other drinks where you add in cola to cover up some of the flavor. Yeah. It it doesn't like, seem like to... Like bourbon. Yeah, like now, now that I'm drinking it straight, I'm very aware that the cola isn't covering anything. Yeah. It's just kind of working alongside it. Hmm. I, I can see that. I can see that. So... Let's get into why we we are drinking Canadian whiskey at all. Because in Canada, under the, the rule of the British, 
the grist mills or uh, basically mills with which the the mills that were storing the grain they often distilled grain to avoid waste you know they they yeah, uh, any any excess that hadn't been used for something rather yeah. than just throwing it out they were, well let's distill it into something that has a longer shelf life yeah um, and the distilling methods and technologies were brought to Canada by the American and European immigrants who had experience in distilling wheat and rye. The the early whiskies from the improvised stills, often with grains closest to uh, going off, were produced with various uncontrolled proofs and were consumed unaged by the local market. One would reasonably assume that the Canadian whiskey that they were drinking back then was rough as guts, completely different from one drink to the next, and just not very nice. Mm, and nothing like the Canadian whiskey that we have today. Not not like modern day Canadian whiskey at all. But that's no. usually the case that the drink evolves. I mean, because as as we know, it began with Scottish people trying their best with what was on hand mm. to distill stuff and what was on hand was this leftover 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 mash. grain that had been turned into things and yeah but most most of the distilling capacity back then was taken up by rum because of the position of Canada where it is in relation to England and the Caribbean it was part of the the trade route going between all those three places or those two other places so a lot of excess sugarcane ended up in Canada and so they had sugar refineries and therefore they had excess molasses and therefore rum. Yeah, and of course the popularity of the things that they were distilling kept them distilling things that weren't whiskey for a very long time because mm. they could even sell those things to uh, the natives who loved what was commonly at that time referred to as fire water and would yeah. swap it for pretty much anything as, as long as they could get their hands on it. Yeah, and so there wasn't a lot of uh, there wasn't a lot of incentive to create anything else until the Scottish started immigrating and making mm. whiskey. Yeah, so the first commercial scale production of whiskey in Canada began in about 1801 when a man named John Molson produced a or sorry purchased a copper st- copper pot still previously used to produce rum, of course, in Montreal. Uh, with his son Thomas Molson and eventual partner James Morton, the Molsons operated a distillery in Montreal and Kingston and were the first in Canada to, Canada to export whiskey, benefiting from the Napoleonic Wars disruption in supplying French wine and brandies to England, believe it or not. Yeah, and um, of course, as anyone who follows brandings of whiskey knows... Molson Canadian, <laughs> it's hmm. still a thing. They've, yeah. they've been at it for quite some time, though they are no longer owned by who they were once owned by. No, they're, they're owned by one of the oligarchs at the moment. I believe they are owned... I think they're owned by Diageo. Yeah, so I think it was in the early 1900s when um, during Prohibition, and this is Canadian Prohibition, not American Prohibition, hmm. a whole pile of them started getting into trouble because they could only produce for export. 
and couldn't sell at home. No. And then suddenly they couldn't sell to the American market either. Yeah, they could sell at home, but then they couldn't sell to the Americans once the American prohibition began because theirs ended and then the Americans started. Yeah. And so they had to start merging companies together and selling to bigger international conglomerates. Hmm. And so, of course, by the time that the American prohibition ended, almost none of the Canadian whiskey producers were actually owned by the companies that started them. Yeah, which is a shame because there were some fantastic whiskies back then. Yeah. But well, none of them exist anymore. Though they are still using a lot of those distilleries that existed from back then. They're... Distilleries, yes. I would say the recipe has changed a lot since then. Mm, oh, undoubtedly. But let's uh, let's talk briefly, since I've mentioned Prohibition, about um, how popular Canadian whiskey became as something to be run by the smugglers during American Prohibition. Hmm. Because there was one whiskey distillery set up on the river that separates Canada from America. It was on one side of the bank, and the rum runners, as they were called, despite that they weren't always running rum... No, sometimes it was gin. Yeah, had some very fast boats, and would just <laughs> blast across the river, grab a whole pile of Canadian whiskey, and come blasting back again. Yeah. Times did not really pick up for the Canadian whiskey distillers until really the mid-1900s, because following Prohibition, they had World War Two, mm. And during the war, a lot of distilleries and alcohol that was produced was taken for the war efforts. Yeah, a lot of distillers, unfortunately, had their uh, factories commandeered by the military and ended up producing military-grade alcohols instead of stuff that people were wanting to drink. Yeah, so alcohols for medical purposes and things like that. Everything during World War Two was kind of commandeered towards the war effort. Pretty much. But they, they started to recover after the war, and production of Canadian whiskey in various different styles has slowly increased since the 1950s. And here we are today with just a handful left, really. Because, you know, there there were there were there were a stack of different distilleries back then, but you know, since prohibition and the war, they they the majority of them closed down. Yeah, in uh, in the early 1900s, there was somewhere in the ballpark of 200 distilleries in Canada, mm. and yeah, now it's only a handful of main distilleries that produce almost everything. Yeah. And half of them are for uh, Beam Suntory and Diageo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the main nine are now, yeah, owned by, yeah, Beam Suntory and... There's a handful of Canadian whiskey distilleries that actually still own themselves, which is an anomaly in the growing uh, ginormous whiskey brand, or ginormous alcohol brand world. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, they're all either owned by yeah, Diageo, Campari Group. Pernod Ricard. Mm. But, yeah, the, a few do 
A few do own themselves. The Highwood Distillery mm. owns itself. Yeah. Uh, the Hiram Walker... Dis- well, the Hiram Walker Distillery is owned by Pernod Ricard and operated by Corby Spirits and Wine, of which Pernod has a controlling share. So... <laughs> So it's basically Pernod. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there is a, a distillery in Canada that produces a shite load of whiskey as uh unnamed brand, and they basically label it off-site. Right. Yeah. Uh, the the Valleyfield Distillery is a one of the uh, major distilleries in Canada that produces whiskey... For other brands, it's owned by Diageo, but it's it produces whiskey for yeah for unknown brands for brands that don't have their own distillery yet and need a whiskey to put behind them. Mm, right. So what you could be drinking might not actually be that good. It could be from this one factory in in uh, in Canada. In Quebec, near Quebec. Near Quebec, yeah. Sorry, in, in Quebec, near Montreal. Quebec mm. being the estate or province. Yes, the French Canada. Yeah. Yeah, so there you have it. Yeah, and that's... That's, mo- that's all the history. Well, uh, as much history as we feel like cramming into this episode. Yeah, that's that's basically... I mean, that's it. That's, that's Canadian whiskey, because our, our mm. good drop... Would of course be Canadian Club. It's it's always a safe bet. Yeah, and it's it's Canadian Club is recognised the whole world around or the world round, and it's probably going to taste the same here as it does in China, for example. Yeah, it's consistent. It's a good price. Yeah, um, and our good drop is the Collingwood Distillery uh, Canadian whiskey with yeah. the. The charred maple staves. No, we we don't have an odd drop, but as with many whiskies, there's no. just really not one. No, they they seem to be, as you said, like a lot of the other whiskies, and not bothered with funny or punny names. Yeah, but uh, that does give us a good segue into what we'll be talking about in our next episode, mm. and we'll tell you all about that after, after the, the plugs. plugs. <laughs> well. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, please uh, like and subscribe to us. You can find us as A Good Drop All About Alcohol on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts. Um, I'm still trying to get us on Google Play Podcasts. But if you're listening to us there, then we have succeeded, and thank you for listening. Yeah. Um, if you want to contact us, you can find us on the socials. No, we are a good drop podcast yep. on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and we've got a, a one video on YouTube so far. Yep, one video on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, if you'd like to contact us with any suggestions, feedback, to have a go at us for the terrible Canadian accent we began the episode with, <laughs> then uh, you can email us on uh, a good drop at gmail Yeah. And if you want to share a single episode with a friend or if you want to pick an episode to listen to, you, we have a good old-fashioned website, agooddrop.com.au. Yeah, so now do be sure to tune in for our next episode, which is 
crude cocktail names. What? Yeah, crude oh. cocktail names, aka cocktails of the eighties. The, the the cock of the tails. Yeah. Hmm. So if you send us your favorite punny or innuendo-based cocktail name, we'd love to hear from you. We would. Yeah. Ah. Uh, there's quite a few out there. The slippery nipple, the blowjob. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to give too many away right now. Yeah. We've got to save some for the episode. But yeah, uh, stay tuned until next time. Yeah. So until then. Until then. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>